Hello and welcome to Lauren.Live, spirituality, health, and lifestyle podcast. Today I have guest Sarah Tava joining me. Hey, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for joining. Um, Sarah is actually my sister-in-law, which is super cool that we're getting to do this together. And um, we, I had kind of asked um, people that had been following along, what topics should we talk about? What's something that you know maybe some people don't know about or people are in it, whether they're trying to adopt or have been adopted. And Sarah had the great idea about talking about the adoption process. And she personally knows because she is adopted. And so that's kind of how we decided to do the topic today. Um, I want to do a quick intro on Sarah, and then I really want her to to steal the show and talk about her story. Um, But she was born and raised in California, and she currently lives in Colorado. Um, She lives with her three dogs. Well, I'm sorry. Now it's two. She just had one that passed. But they um, are like a Frenchie bulldog loving family. She lives with her husband, um, who is my brother-in-law, and then her dad as well. Um, And she has worked in the apparel industry for years and currently works um, in the outdoor space apparel uh, industry as well. So um, let's dive in. And I would love for you to talk about your personal story, your adoption story. um, And then we'll just kind of, we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, So I was a newborn adoption. Um, So there's a lot of different kinds of adoption. Uh, And, you know, mine was probably the most traditional route. So I was actually adopted when I was two weeks old. Um, And I was adopted through a religious uh, adoption agency in the time. And I think, you know, for me, uh, it was kind of interesting. I was born in 1984. And so that was actually the last year of a closed adoption. So you'll see right now in the news, there's a lot of conversation conversation around making original birth certificates available to adoptees. Um, and the reason is, is because if you were part of a closed adoption, uh, like if I were to request my birth certificate from the state of California, it would actually come with my adoptive parents' names on it. Mm. So, um, like you're really sealed from knowing who you are and where you came from. And, you know, that for a lot of adoptees is a really, really hard thing to grapple with as they grow up. And so uh, for me, I, I was actually pretty, you know, traditionally raised. I, I grew up in Southern California. Uh, I always knew I was adopted. And that's also something else to consider. There's uh, definitely a term called late term or uh, a late adoptee, which is where they find out much later in life that they were adopted. And so for me, I'm really grateful that I was definitely not a late discovery adoptee. Um, I remember being very young and knowing I was adopted and it was always, you know, portrayed in our household as a a really great thing. Uh, I felt very blessed and lucky. Those were the terms that were thrown around a lot. And so, uh, for me, I, I never saw it as a crutch or as a wound, uh, and more so saw it as, you know, I was raised by this wonderful family and, you know, was given this other chance and, and it took me a lot longer in life to really unpack what that meant. But I think overall my childhood was pretty traditional. Wow. Okay. So sorry, I'm a little confused. So when you were born in 1984 and your birth certificate, you were given that information with your like birth mother's name on it or you were not? No, I was not. So okay. mine was actually part of what they call the closed adoption okay. or a sealed adoption. Okay. So it means that all of my uh, like legal paperwork has my adoptive parents' names I on see. it. But and now so it's different. 
Yeah, there's still closed adoption now. It's definitely a lot less common. I think, you know, uh, the adoption industry has a, a, evolved in many different ways. And, and for the most part, it, you know, has always been painted this really beautiful fairy tale for me. And I think as I've gotten further and further within the industry, I've learned um, just quite how unethical a lot of it is. And so for me, um, yeah, my records were absolutely sealed. So I had no idea where I came from, who I was, my medical history. You know, I spent every single uh, medical appointment during history just writing NA across it. Mm. You know, I'm adopted and that's what it is. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of stigmas that come with adopted children. And so I think for me, I didn't really have a great understanding of, of my heritage until I got much, much older and actually located my birth mom. Mm, yeah. Wow. That is a lot. Um, okay. I don't know if we want to, maybe we, we dive more into like the industry and some of the unethical. That's a large part of why we wanted to do this and, and why you spoke out. I'm glad about this topic, uh, cause it does need to be talked about, but before we get into that, let's, let's talk about that. How did you find your mom? And I know you found, was it half sister or sisters? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how old were you? So, um, the way it worked with a closed adoption was uh, you had to submit your, so essentially I would submit my paperwork, she would submit her paperwork, and then they would swap the paperwork. And so um, I actually submitted mine back in, gosh, when I was like probably 16 years old. And then uh, I didn't hear anything until I was 26. So um, when I uh, first got that phone call from social services, basically telling me that they had, you know, located my birth mother, um, I had been working in the hospital industry at the time. And a part of my job was to actually uh, remove babies that tested positive for meth and other drugs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so I, you know, remember picking up the phone and, and I had switched careers and was working for a different job and, you know, they were inquiring around social services. And I just remember thinking like, Oh, is this around, you know, the hospital that I used to work at? Like, are you, are you inquiring around, you know, a case? Um, and they were like, no, we just wanted to let you know, we've, we've located your birth mother. And I was like, Oh, like, okay, you know, here we are. Now we have this, like new paths. And so, um, I actually had my, my dad drive me, my adoptive dad drive me down to social services in Los Angeles. And I remember walking in the door and the guy was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm just, I'm so sorry. And I was like, what are you sorry about? Like, is she dead? Like, did she pass away? Mm. And he was like, no, we're just really backed up here. And I remember thinking like, I don't understand. Like, well, how, you know, when did she submit her paperwork? And he was like, when you were two weeks old. And so it essentially had taken them 10 years to process my paperwork. Oh my gosh. And so, um, all they had was, uh, all they had was, uh, an old phone number, I believe, um, and an old address from 1984. And so, I remember just being like, what do I even do with this? And so I, of course, called my husband and I'm like, they're telling me to hire a private investigator. Like, you know, what do I, what do I even do with this? Um, and he was like, give me the info. Like I'll find her on the internet. And by the time I had driven back from LA to Orange County, sure enough, he had like found her old residence. Um, and you know, without getting into too much, uh, of her personal story, I mean, uh, I ended up reconnecting with her, um, ended up finding out I have two half sisters. Uh, so we all have the same mom and we all three have different dads. Uh, and I've always been the baby of my family and, and suddenly I had, you know, 
uh, a 12 and a 14 year old half sister when I found them. And so that was really uh, almost as much of a mind trip as it was to, to meet my birth mom was to see these little souls who, who kind of looked like me and who kind of moved like me. And we had like a lot of the same mannerisms and, and that was really, really interesting too. That is interesting. Wow. What a story that is insane about the backup. So she had, after you were two weeks old, she had submitted paperwork was that kind of signal like if you ever wanted contact, she had given them hers and she wanted to meet you later? Yeah. I okay. mean, um, she was very young and mm-hmm. obviously made the best decision for yeah. her. And, I, you know, there's a lot of really great um, literature pieces right now around like the adoption industry, especially back in the fifties and the sixties. Um, there's a really great book called the women who went away. And it's about these women who got pregnant out of wedlock and basically were forced to go off to these birthing homes. Um, and were basically forced into giving away their children. And, um, in a, in a way that's kind of similar to what my birth mom went through, like no one in my family, in her family knew she was pregnant and she went away to this home in order to have me in a safe capacity. And, you know, ultimately made the best decision for her. And, and there's absolutely no will or or ill will on my end in regards to that. Like, I can't even imagine what that would feel like to be that young and to have to make such an, an adult decision. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I, I think there's so much to unpack in just that itself, like the coercion of women giving up children and, and the, the way that it was handled, especially from like a lot of religious institutes in the back. Wow. So I think that that's another piece of this too. Wow. And how old was she when she had you? Oh gosh. I want to say, I feel like she was like 15 or 16. Yeah, so really you young. Know, def- definitely young. Wow. Might have even been younger. Oh my. Um, yeah. So, okay. And again, I, whatever you care to share, or don't care to share. I'm just grateful that you're sharing yeah. your story because I know that'll be very inspiring for other people or just, in, you know, opening people's eyes to reality and, and how this all works. But do you know your birth father, your biological father? I don't okay. No, I don't. So yeah. that's still a piece um, of the puzzle that's yet to be kind of unlocked. Mm-hmm. I, I know a few things about him um, in the sense of maybe his possible heritage <laughs> and, you know, but uh, I, I don't know who yeah. he is just yet. Totally. Okay. And then to kind of close on that part. So do you still converse with your mom on occasion? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, I especially with finding the girls, you know, that was such a, an unexpected surprise. Like I, I I guess a lot of adoptees and, and I'll speak for myself, you know, growing up, you always wonder like, what would this other family feel like, or what would they be like? And I think, you know, um, there is a really popular, uh, adult adoptee and I believe foster child that came out of the system. Um, her name is, uh, Oh my gosh, I just forgot her name, Tanya Bauer or Tara Bauer. Um, and anyway, she says, essentially, I, I wish I lived in a world where I, I love my adoptees. And I also don't wish that they existed. Like my adopted parents, like, you know, I wish that I could love my adopted parents at the same time. And then also not wish that for their existence in my life. Yeah. And, and it, it was interesting to hear someone like that express that kind of, point of view because it seems so taboo and ungrateful and like you're not supposed to feel this way but at the same time you know the reality is like for that family to be formed another family had to be broken right yeah and the realistic feelings and and you know what I mean emotions that come along with it totally 
Wow. Um, okay. And so then your childhood and everything, you said it was really happy and you knew, you remember them telling you as a young age, like, do you said you had a good, happy childhood, but I mean, there must have been times where it was difficult, I'm sure, right? Or, or just wondering about your mom as you got older, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying about the stigmas, you know, um, like I used to be all told all the time on a regular basis, like, oh, you're so lucky, like, you're so lucky that they they found you or you're, you know, you should be so grateful that you have the home that you had. And um, I also remember being introduced, you know, all the time at family reunions and, and not by anybody's ill intention, but you know, oh, this is Roy's daughter. She's adopted, uh-huh. you know, and like kind of that tagline always being stuck with you, sure. you know, and the reality is like, if you looked at a family photo, um, like you would never be like, oh, she's adopted. Like I, I don't have it the same way transracial adoptees have it sure. where they're like such an obvious standout in their families. And so I think for that, that tagline to be always attached to you is also, you know, something to kind of deal with and grapple with. That's true. Yeah. I never thought about that. And, you know, I'm sure friends or people at school, like asking about it that may not understand it, things like that too. Like, Oh, you're adopted or yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I don't ever remember looking at it as a negative. If anything, no, I yeah. always, but just people being curious a- and you having to talk about it maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think like um, a lot of people do look at it as a negative. Mm. Like they look at it as like they were a piece of trash or they were given away or they yeah. weren't wanted or, you know, and it's like, it's quite the opposite. You know, like I look at adoptees and, and also other children, like in the sense of like, you're so wanted yes. and like, unfortunately, the way that our system works, like the same tools that are given to adoptive parents are not given to young birth parents. Mm. And so it's like, what if we invested the same way we invest in foster parents with a a monthly stipend or classes or child support in the way that we could with, with young unprepared youth, you know, like it would probably be a very different circumstance. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And I love your attitude on that. And I definitely agree. Like you are wanted and you are valuable and just as much as any other planned child or unplanned there's plenty of unplanned children in in the homes of their own parents but yeah definitely okay um so we kind of talked about that and um you know what what would you like to speak about I mean you've kind of touched on a few things I mean just like the backup of paperwork and I actually had um a former co-worker who adopted um, a baby. And I know they had to wait a really long time. They had to go through the whole process. Maybe you could speak to what does the process even look like? Like if someone's considering doing it, I know it can be very long and detailed. Um, anything about that, that you want to share? Yeah, I think that, um, like social media has changed our world in so many different ways. And it's also very much influenced the world of adoption. And, and I should just state, like, I'm not a social worker by any means or, and I I can only speak as someone who has, you know, actually looked into the process myself. So my, my husband and I are in the process of actually becoming foster parents. And so, um, you know, when we started out on that journey, I had always had the goals to adopt. Um, it was just something that, 
you know, it was kind of like a, a pay it forward mentality. And even now I sit back and I realize that that wasn't the right mentality to have, but you know, it was something that I thought that I could relate to a child through. And so I, I wanted to provide space for, for that little soul too. Um, and so we started to look into the adoption industry and it is just very seedy and like very deep. And, you know, we, I remember I had probably five interviews with different agencies and it was just all around, you know, we considered international, we considered domestic, we considered, you know, uh, children with special needs. And so, uh, looking into all of that, there was like a common thread and the thread was very much around like, well, how bad do you want a baby? How much money are you willing to pay? Um, it felt very like black market baby and that didn't sit well with me at all. Um, you know, I had one social worker who explained to me that, you know, minority children would cost less than Caucasian children. And, you know, it's just, uh, then you get into the other side of the industry too, where like we talk about the coercion of women and it's like, you have women on Facebook groups who are trying to, you know, pop on pre-pregnancy teen forums and like pushing adoption or pushing, you know, financial backing. And so it has become this whole new beast with social media. And you have a lot of people out there who are pretending to be experts and really are, are kind of con artists in the sense. And so, um, like I've had multiple friends who have started ad adoption processes and, you know, the moms change their mind halfway down the road. And then that, that money was gone and that investment was gone as well. And so uh, I think that, you know, unfortunately it's on both sides of that. There are definitely people in the system who want to take advantage of people who want children so badly. Um, and that really led us and directed us towards, you know, the option of foster care or, you know, and, and even within that, there's a term called foster to adopt. Yeah. And, you know, that's actually not uh, an appropriate way of adoption either. You know, like you should never enter into foster care uh, looking to adopt because ultimately that means that you're not doing the point of foster care, foster care. The, the point is reunification mm -hmm. and like getting that child back into their family, mm -hmm. whether it's a family member, whether it's the parents, whether it's a support system of the family member, like the goal is for that child to be reunified. And I think people that enter into the foster to adopt world, you know, they may enter in with the best of in intentions, but ultimately like that's not, that's not the way. Interesting. Wow. That's a lot. Um, okay. So, and yeah, I mean, like I've heard that actually too about, um, non-Caucasian at the cost, which blows my mind that that's even like a thing. Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> that's very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, black and brown children are, are openly less expensive to adopt, yeah. which is, you know, pretty wild um, when you think about it in our time and, and with everything going on in our world. And at the same time, um, there's also a lot of conversation about transracial adoption and like, is it a good thing? Like, how does it feel for a child to grow up in, you know, a single race environment essentially? Um, so it's, t it's a lot, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to adoption. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to foster care too. Uh, and I think if you are someone who's looking into one of those avenues, uh, there are so many great resources too. 
like they're, you know, foster the family is an account on Instagram. And, um, I, you know, I butchered her name earlier, but it was Tina Bauer. Uh, and Tina, you know, was a foster youth is now, you know, in the process of educating other adults and what it looks like, you know, to adopt or to foster a child. Um, and there's so many other great assets out there through social media. So I feel like, you know, the, the training that I've already received in the process of becoming a certified foster parent is so much more than my parents ever received in just the adoption process. And I think about, you know, this kind of parenting around trauma and, and neglect and, and how you identify those things in your children, um, it should be for all parents, regardless if you biologically have a child or right. not. I always think that too. I'm like, we have to take like classes to drive. You have to get permits yeah. to do something, but raising a child, you know, it's like, we need those, we need some help collectively. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. And just curious, do you, is there a difference with genders? I know we talked about race, but is there a difference in cost for a girl and boy or a demand for more girls or boys? Do you know anything about that? Yeah. I mean, I've heard that, um, you know, obviously there was a time I, I want to say it was even in the nineties as most recently, like, uh, female Chinese children were a high hmm. adoption or they were like highly available for adoption okay. because there was this standard in uh, China of yeah. like only being able to have sure. so many children in the home. Um, but other than that, I mean, I haven't heard too much around race, sure. you know, or I mean around gender or, or sex. Um, you know, there are, there is an aspect too of, you know, uh, people receiving monthly stipends, especially within the foster care industry. So if you take in a foster child, depending on your state, uh, you might receive, you know, a thousand dollars a month per child, you know? And so even that was very eye opening for me, uh, like sitting in on those initial calls and, and hearing, you know, given the, the time of COVID, everything was virtual when we started this process and, you know, sitting in on a call with 30 other adults and someone saying like, well, how many kids can I fit in a one bedroom? Or, you yeah. know, I have roommates. How does that work? Like how many children can I fit? You know? And it's like, it's very cringeworthy, mm -hmm. you know, to, to think about, uh, these children who so desperately need stability to be thrust into somebody who maybe has ulterior motives. Yes. And I've actually heard about that too, not to be like negative, but the, again, this is just the reality and not, that doesn't mean everyone is doing it, but I have heard that too, that the financial interests could be, you know, outweighing maybe the, 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 you know what I mean? The benefit of actually truly wanting to help a child. So yeah, there's a lot in there. Um, I have no idea really about how all this works other than, like I said, that we had friends that at work that um, did adopt um, a little baby girl who was black and the parents are white, which was really neat to see that process. And I, I really love, it's just so perfect, especially for what's going on now to see them raise her. Um, she does have contact with her birth mother and siblings. They live like somewhere in the South and then we're here in, in Washington and they've been able to keep a really cool connection and be very um, aware and conscious to celebrate her, you know, being black. And uh, literally like she'll, my friend will post about, um, you know, I need help from, for anyone who knows how to, to work with black hair, because that's different than like how we would style our hair. You know what I mean? So like, I just, sure. I think it's really cool. There are like a lot of positives to, to spin it. There are a lot of positive things going on like that too. Uh, conscious parenting, conscious adopting, then moving into a different race, bringing that into your home. Like, I think there's so much goodness happening too. Um, so I want to like celebrate that, but 
Um, I mean, do you know, like statistically, um, are there more uh, non-Caucasian children that are waiting to be fostered and adopted? Oh, yeah. That would be- I mean, I, I don't know the exact stat. Sure. You know, I'm in Colorado. There's over 5,000 children in, in foster care waiting for homes right now. Wow. And I've heard statistics around like 60% are children are minority, okay. you know? And so it's like, it, it's pretty, you know, but then that's, that <laughs> not to go down a rabbit hole on race, but that's an even bigger conversation about, you know, uh, essentially black and brown families not being supported sure. and having children removed for yeah. reasons that white children have continued to stay in abusive homes, you sure. know? Yeah. And so there's also a huge stigma around that too. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So there's, so yeah, I mean, there's just so much about this, like fostering could be one episode in itself and then adoption, but, um, you know, there's obviously, do you, are there, do you know, are there more kids in foster, like waiting for foster or adoption? Mm, So that's a good question. So there is definitely more children waiting in foster care. So foster care is basically for children that have been removed from the home or have been abandoned. Uh, but I would say 80% of the children that are in foster care have been removed for an unsafe condition, sure. right? So it can be physical, it can be sexual, it could be neglect. Um, and all of those reasons are reasons that kids are removed every day. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the adoption industry has almost become a surrogate industry. You know, and I think that's what was so surprising for me. You know, when we were looking into domestic adoption, I was talking with one agency and I was saying like, well, you know, what are we looking at for, you know, for costs, I guess, you know, overall. And she was like, well, I guess it depends on like how bad you want a baby. It could be 50K. It could be 100K. And, and, you know, for us, we're sitting there and we're like, why the range? Like, I don't understand, you know? (laughs) And what we came to find out was, you know, this agency in particular basically sponsors the mom. And so like a woman might be pregnant along the way okay. and essentially you're paying for her home, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're paying her rent, you're paying her groceries, you're paying like her medical bills. And I think, you know, back when I was adopted, you know, I seriously doubt my birth mother received anything for me, you know? And so like now I think, you know, the adoption industry has created a, a demand, you know? And so uh, it was interesting when we, we started this process in December of last year and um, we were being told by agency after agency, like, oh, we're having a drought of babies right now. Like no one's having babies anymore. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. You know, and they were like, well, with better birth control, better sex education in schools, like we're just seeing a a lack of unplanned pregnancy. Mm. And you're like, sitting there thinking like, well, great. Isn't that like the, the point, like adoption is to serve a a purpose of like people not being able to provide. And yet adoption industries are paying women to get pregnant and are, you know, like doing some very under the table things in order to, that is you know, bizarre. essentially then mark up this child, oh you know, three times the amount. So again, it just, it was not the fit for us, no. you know, and it's not to say that we'll never adopt, but for us, um, there are so many children in the, in the foster care system. Yeah. And I think, you know, they say a child over the age of the 10, like their likelihood to be placed and, and it finally adopted, it goes down by like 50% every year that they grow over the age of 10. 
Okay. People only want babies. And, you know, for us, um, we're, you know, we sit in a place where we were like, gosh, like we have space. We, you know, are, are comfortable financially. Like we we're in a place where we could actually, you know, take an older child. Sure. And so we always say like, we're fostering with the willingness to adopt, mm-hmm. like meaning if their parental rights have already been terminated or if, you know, they've clearly been in the system so long. Yeah that that's their choice down the road. I I think that's where we sit. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, if we were to only have a child for a short amount of time, I think we'd be okay with that too. Yeah. Wow. And that's amazing because that in itself would be really hard if you did become a little attached, that would be emotional, but like bless your hearts for being open to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a phrase, uh, in the foster syndicate, I'll call it, uh, that says like get attached like yeah. get attached. Like it's okay. Like yeah. if you get attached, that means that child is better off. Yeah. And you gave them love when they needed it to help them through that transition. Wow. Uh, I know. And just that what you were talking about, just like being paid to have a baby and all that. And then you're thinking there's so many kids that are literally like needing a home now that are already alive. Like that in itself, is just heartbreaking. So thank you for shedding light on that. I didn't really think about that. I mean, I kind of knew it, but just hearing this is like such a good reminder. And I mean, like, what are some ways that you think, I know it's a hard question, but like, what are some ways that we can like collectively improve this? I mean, what, where do you even start with something like this? Yeah. I think if you have the means, um, and if you have the time and the, the willingness, like foster Like it it, it is a process for sure. And it is, you know, you can either do it through a private agency like we're doing, or you can do it through, you know, your, your city. Um, there's also a different form of it called CASA. Um, CASA is basically a volunteer job and your job is to, to take a foster child out once or twice a month, um, and essentially be able to report back on how they're doing. Uh, you actually report back in, in the court system. And so it is a, a serious volunteer position, but you get to spend time with foster youth. And so I think that's a really great place to start is a CASA volunteer. And then I think there are some really great, um, like nonprofits doing really good work. So uh, foster the family is another big one. Um, they will provide, uh, suitcases and, uh, you know, materials to foster youth that need it between home to home. They say like most foster youth move their belongings, their whole belongings in a garbage bag every time Aww. they switch home. And so, uh, this nonprofit does a lot of work to give them backpacks and suitcases. And so, um, they're a really good one too. That's really cool. Wow. Um, and then do you know like about how long an average like foster, like a stay would be like if you were to get placed with the child and they came to stay with you, like what's the, what's the like ideal time before they would maybe either go back to their family or whatever? Yeah. I don't, I don't think there is like a, a one size fit all. Sure. I think, um, so there's also something called the respite care. So you can become a respite care worker. And it basically means, um, if a foster family like wants to take a vacation and like they can't take the child with them by law, like sometimes you're not able to take children out of state lines or anything like that. You would essentially babysit for a weekend. So that family could go have a vacation or a mom and dad could have a date night. So respite is another aspect. So you become like a certified respite Mm. taker. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes children, are in home a couple weeks 
sometimes they're in homes six months Mm -hmm. and then sometimes they're in homes for years before they go back. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that's like where the getting attached part is really tough is like someone who's had this baby or this child for, you know, two years and then they go back. It's like, ultimately that's where they need to be. And so, you know, you're doing the right thing, but it doesn't mean it doesn't come with being a little bit broken open yourself. Really hard, but also amazing that you helped them when they needed it. Um, okay. I just had a question. I forgot. Ah, um, you have them, but also, I mean, again, not knowing a lot about it, if I know it's hard because sometimes they might try to put the child back into their, you know, biological parents home but isn't the idea that like moving them around less would be less stressful for the child too, though? Is that a goal? Like to try to keep them in, in like the foster family's home for longer versus like continuing to move them around or is it just case by case? I think it's case by case to be honest, Low, Like, I don't think that they, I, I personally don't have enough experience with that, yeah. but I would assume that it is dependent on what's going on in the lives of the the birth parents, sure. you know, and I mean, I, I've talked to our caseworker and she said, like, at times it's not safe for a child to go back. Yeah, so, like, totally. that's another thing that, you know, caseworkers are constantly evaluating is, like, the safety of the circumstances that that child would be placed in. Right. Um, And sometimes that goes into play with, you know, let's say you do adopt a child or let's say you do, you know, foster to adopt in that sense. And uh, you do know everything about that child's birth parents, but it's not safe for the child to know. Like, how are you going to manage that? Like, when do you decide it's appropriate to say like, yeah, I know who your birth parents are or, you know, I think it was kind of a a blessing in a sense that I didn't find my birth mom until I was older because I was in such a different state to be able to take in the information I did get from her, you know, versus being some 16 year old who was probably full of emotion. Right. That's true. Yeah. There could be benefits and the beauty to finding things like that out when you're a little more mature and maybe more ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I think, I don't know. I'm just like thinking about my heart just like goes out to, to any kid, like the transition period just seems like all those transitions and move and not knowing. And I just like how much love that they need. And that's why it is so cool that there are people like you that are willing to, to look into this and to do this. I mean, I just keep thinking like all they really need is just like stability and love. Like every child deserves to have that Yeah. I mean, when we went through our foster care training, I remember they asked one question and they said, um, it was like a true or false exercise. And they asked us all these different questions. And one of the questions was, you know, I think it was like 65% of the kids in foster care are sexually abused, true or false. And I was like, I'm going to go with false because I felt like in my soul, like it just couldn't be that seemed really high, like almost 70%, yeah. you know? And so I was like, oh, maybe it's like 60, maybe it's 50. Yeah. I like it was a trick question. And so I was like, okay, false, you know? And she was like, you're right. Like, why do you think it's false? And I was like, I just feel like maybe 65 or 68 is too high. I forget what the statistic was. She was like, it's actually false because it's 85. Yeah. I had a feeling it was going to be higher. And I was uh, like, oh my gosh. That's like horrible. Yeah. And so then it's like, you know, these kids are, 
are being shuffled, not to, you know, to your point, but then it's like, where is a safe place for them to stay? Mm -hmm. Like abuse, it happens in foster homes. Abuse happens, you know, in their biological homes. So it's like, there's this lack of safety and stability for kids. And, and I guess at the end of the day, if I can help with that, like that's, that is the goal. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of kids that need help. So if people are watching this and um, thinking about it themselves, wanting to either adopt or um, foster, can you give just a quick glimpse of like what, like how long does it take? Like the interview process, them scoping you out. Yeah. I know they have to come to your home. They have to you know check with your employer. Like I remember actually verifying employment for the people that I you know talked about earlier. Like I know there's a lot that goes into it, which rightfully so. Um, even with that, it sounds like things slip through and you can't always find the perfect people. There's still abuse happening in foster homes, which is awful, but yeah. uh, they try to scope you out as best as they can. What does that look like? And like you said, I mean, there is, you don't have to say a dollar amount necessarily, but obviously there's money involved and I mean, is that just paying yeah, admin I mean, fees or? Well, I think, you know, that's probably where that whole foster to adopt section came from because it was like significantly cheaper mm. to foster a child. Like you actually receive a stipend when right. you foster. So ultimately, whatever you invest into foster care, it pays itself back. And so then people got into that industry thinking like, oh, great, I can get a free adoption essentially. Mm. And so that's where like the term foster to adopt comes. And it's like, that's not what foster care is about. Foster care is about reunification, mm-hmm. you know? foster with willingness to adopt have that you know say it's a 12 year old whose parental rights have already been terminated but that's a different circumstance you know than someone crossing their fingers for a baby you know uh for us I mean we started the process in December and we're still not certified for foster care okay um I think COVID you know has obviously slowed things down because they're not able to to be in person and do things the same way but I also think that depending on the agency or the city that you work with you know you might have a different experience but our agency has been incredibly thorough um and I mean they they want to know all your all your dirt. Yeah. <laughs> they want to know. They look at your tax returns. They look at you know your your home. You you have to baby proof your home, even if you're taking in a 16 year old. You know, so um, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. They say don't expect to be placed within a year. So okay. from certification to a year out, you could receive a child and you could, you know, be waiting. So it, it can take, it's not a quick process, I yeah. guess is my answer. And I would um, assume they, do they try and find, I don't really know how to word this right. Like, I don't want to say a, a match, but like if, I don't know how to, to say it. Like for it instance, is a match. Yeah, it is absolutely a match. Okay. So the way that it works in this case, and, and I can only speak for my own agency, and but essentially they'll create a profile yep. for, for me and my husband. And then essentially then they'll go try to match that profile based on what we've said. So for us, and, and I don't mind sharing, but like we've said, you know, we're open from infant to 10, or I'm sorry, infant to 12, but we've said that five to 12 is probably our sweet spot. Okay. So we told our, 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 our caseworker that, you know, we want older children. Yeah. We've also said that we um, would like a sibling set. So mm. another piece of the adoption industry is siblings are yeah. split up so much that we really wanted to provide a space for two. Yeah. Um, cool. And then we said any gender, any race. Okay. Um, and then we also said like up to, sur- you know, um, 
up to certain uh, medical and, and behavioral you know, levels too. Sure. So um, they get real deep into what that's, that looks like. Good, you know, yeah. for us, we pretty much said we were open to anything um, except for when it came to like animal abuse. You yeah. mentioned earlier, like having dogs. puppies in the home. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it just was a hard line for the two of us. Sure. Um, but at that point, then they look for a child who has almost the same attributes or is looking for a family with the same kind of uh, skill set. And then the match will happen. Yeah. And at that point, then they'll bring that file back to us. We would be able to evaluate that child's case file and then make a decision. Sure. That's really neat. Yeah. I mean, I again, it's completely different, but I have been in matched with, um, a girl, um, through the big brother, big sister. And I mean, again, completely different, but, uh, we do spend a lot of time together. Well, we don't as much anymore. She's older, but like I met her when she was 10, she's 16 and we're still in each other's lives, but the same thing they did a match thing. And I do actually think there's a lot of, um, it's a higher success rate, I think to, to have that. So that's really neat. Wow. Well, I'm really excited to, to see, what happens for you guys. And I'm just like, so grateful to know people like you that are willing to open up the space in your home and to help. And, um, I know your experience is a little different because you wasn't as traumatic. Um, but, and you had good parents, but, um, just giving, I don't know, like you said, you have that understanding. So I think that's so perfect for you to then carry on to help, you know, another child or two or however many that you guys are blessed to, to take care of. I'm excited to see that for you guys. And thank you for wanting to do that and help and love people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Is there anything else that you have learned that you would like to share or just any like advice or um, words of wisdom? Maybe there's people that are adopted that are struggling with things or that are thinking about entering into adoption and fostering any last like words. Yeah, I think, I think that, your self-worth can't be dependent on someone else's life decision. And so, you know, for me, I always knew that the best decision was made for the best life, you know, and it's not to say that had my birth mom decided to, to keep me that I couldn't have had a good life with her, but I think that she wanted more for me than she was able to give. And I think that there is, a lot of grace in that for her and for her path. And I can't, I think even as I have started to kind of walk this path myself in this different, different Avenue through foster care, but, um, it's made me think a lot about the decisions she's made. And it's made me think a lot about the impact and, and the trauma that she went through and how it, you know, for sure shaped her life, you know? And so I think, uh, I'm very grateful to her. Um, and I think she knows that. So I think that that, that is, is a good thing for us. I love that. You just said that like having grace because it's actually a lot different than the misconception of some people might think that aren't familiar with adoption. They might just think like, Oh, the parent didn't want them or they just didn't deal with it. But actually there's so many like your mom that probably loved you and it was so hard, but knew that they couldn't give you what they had hoped for and that you deserved. And so they were actually giving you a gift of a a home that could take care of you better in that time. Um, so I do actually think she really did, you know, care about your well being, And I think having that grace and understanding is really important. Yeah, I think, um, 
you know, one of the questions that I asked her, I had started reading that book about the women who went away. And uh, it was talking about like what happened after these women gave birth in these birthing homes. And, you know, it sparked a thought for me and I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder if they took me from her right away. Or like, I wonder if I stayed with her. Mm -hmm. And so, um, she and I, uh, talk a lot through messenger. And, and so I just, you know, shot her message and I was like, Hey, I I need to respect that this question will bring up trauma for you. Mm -hmm. And I also understand if you don't want to answer it. And so if this is not something you want to discuss, like no harm, no foul. Um, and I just said, but I'm so curious, like, did they, take me from you right away? Or did I stay with you for a little while? And and she was like, so open, but basically she said that, you know, I stayed with her for three days before they took me. Wow. And I just thought I cannot imagine a woman's grief and trauma from having a child removed from them after they've gone through something so traumatic as giving birth on their own without a husband or a spouse or a support system, you know, to make such a strong decision. Yeah. And so I think, you know, when we talk about welfare for, for people or, or things for women, um, I think about like, what does, what is a trauma response support system look like for someone who has given up a child for adoption? Because I think the amount of depression that women must feel is, is probably pretty outstanding. Sure. And naturally there's just got to be some guilt, even though it is for them or it was the right decision for a betterment of, of a life, um, yours or whoever else is, you know, have, they've been given up for adoption, but, or foster care. Um, you're right. Like so much grief and so much guilt. And I think, that's a, a big topic that I actually talk about on this podcast spiritually too. Like we all have traumas and, and I think a large part of us living here is to figure out how to heal um, and help one another heal. And I, I think you're so right about, you know, there's gotta be uh, grief counseling and trauma healing and support for, for parents, not even just women. Cause you know, there are probably, there are men that are still around in these situations definitely, or even married, you know, couples, um, and that needs to be looked at and dealt with and there needs to be resources for them because you're right. She did what she needed to for you in that time, but that doesn't mean that she didn't have pain after three days being with you and then all that trauma beforehand. I mean, wow, that's just like, you know, we, we need to make sure that um, there are resources, better resources improving continually for, for parents that are giving, giving children away. That's true. That's a good, yeah. that's a really good point. Wow. Well, thank you for talking about this. This is a very like in-depth topic and we only touched on it, of course, but I think it's important to highlight. Um, I learned a lot today. I hope people watching learned something. And if you are considering it, I hope that Sarah's story has inspired you. Um, Do you have any other like resources or places that you could recommend for people to check out if they're looking to do something like you are? Yeah, I would um, start to educate yourself with adoptees and the voices from adoptees. I think this is a good start. And then I think there are some other really great ones, especially if you're looking into like transracial adoption. You know, I think about your girlfriend who's like, someone help me. You know, I don't know how to handle black hair. And I think there are um, so many resources. And and in particular, I think of one woman that I can send you for your girlfriend. But, you know, uh, 
there are adoptees who have come out of the system who have devoted their lives to becoming voices mm-hmm. for adoptee parents um, to teach them the lessons that our parents didn't know. Yeah. Because I think like the the structure of adoption and 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 foster care has changed so much in the last you know twenty years. Yeah. Um, and there are so many resources out there. Foster the family is, you know, a huge one that I spoke to prior. Um, they're wonderful with giving resources and also linking to other, uh, you know, former foster youth. Um, and then I think for adoption, you know, just being careful about the agency that you look into, you know, there is a lot of, uh, common vernacular around, you know, we're an ethical adoption agency and and it's like, what does that really mean? You know? And so I think, uh, there's also a black hole of something called adoptee consultants, um, which are people that are devoted themselves to helping you match with someone. And I would also walk a fine line with that as well. Interesting. Actually, I did have one more question. Um, quickly, can you touch on, not quickly necessarily, I mean, whatever, how much time you have. And I, again, I just know it's so detailed, but I guess kind of a broad like answer, if you will. Um, what's the main difference between like a government funded versus private? You said you're talking to a private. So like, what is the, even the difference? Like, I didn't really even know there were private. I thought it was all government. So what does that look like? Yeah. Are you talking about in regards to foster care um, low or are you talking about know, around adoption? Either or, and or both if you yeah. can. Yeah. Um, so adoption, I would say is all, is mostly private. So okay. there's, um, essentially two kinds of adoption. There's, uh, well, actually there's three kinds of adoption. There's domestic, there's international, and then there's going to be private essentially. And so your domestic and your international are typically through, uh, like, a, a private, entity, (laughs) we'll call them, or an agency. And then your private individual is like, you connect with a mom yourself and you hire a lawyer to process this. I see. I see. Or even like families, right? Like I've heard before, like an aunt would adopt their sister's child. Yes. Okay. So there are special adoption lawyers that can process that paperwork to sever your biological rights over that child. Okay. Um, and that's where I think things have gotten so kind of gnarly on social media because there are like, I met with one agency and, you know, when we were talking about costs, I was like, gosh, this just seems so astronomical. Like my parents paid, I think they paid 11 grand for me in 1984, which was a lot of money. For yeah. Them. Yeah. But to think about some people are paying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for children now. It's not. And so, um, you know, I had one agency tell me, well, you know, the other option is you could market yourself through social media. And I was like, explain that to me. Like, what does that look like? And she was like, um, look at the hashtag looking to adopt. And so of course I like fell down the black hole of Instagram and it's all of these families who are holding up, you know, pig boards essentially that say looking to adopt. And the idea is that if they put their story out on social media, some desperate mom will find them and reach out to them and they will negotiate the terms for this child. Interesting. And so, um, that has become a very, very common form of adoption now where you are socially telling your story. You create a webpage, you create a private Facebook page, you have an Instagram account. Um, it is just a very big dark hole. If you want and some, some of that sounds, minutes. some of that sounds like it could be good because you don't have to go through all the like stuff of like 
overpaying and like, you know, whatever. But then it also doesn't sound good because you may not have that structure, like checking out the home thoroughly and all that stuff right. that that's very nerve wracking actually. Well, and then it's also a, a perfect, um, it's a perfect landing pad for someone who's trying to pull a fast one. Exactly. Too. So then That's true. like you, you read story after story of families who have, you know, given 30, 40, $50,000 to these expectant moms who were never pregnant to oh begin with in the first place. That's insane. Whoa. Yeah. That gets really so, dicey. I mean, if you can afford it, I say go through an agency. Okay. I just think that, that there are some good agencies out there, you know, depending on what state you're in. And I think you just have to really do your homework. Sure. Um, and I think that there are also some modern things like there is a, an actual website called the dot match. Um, and it's basically like a match.com for mm. birth moms. Oh, interesting. And so, um, you do have to meet some qualifications to yeah. be on there, which is, is good because then yeah. it's a, a safe space for the, the birth mom to right. be able to actually, like you know, background checks and things. Yeah, yeah. Like no birth mom should ever start a conversation around adoption until that adoptive family has a, a certified home study done. Totally. And that home study basically ensures that they have this space, the finances and yeah you know, the mental wellness to be able to take on someone else's child. Totally. Wow. There are a lot of rabbit holes. This is fascinating. So I had no idea, but I mean, it would make complete sense with any other industry, what kind of stuff's going on social media. I mean, wow. Okay. Well, you shed a lot of light and I know I learned a ton today. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, is there any, anything in closing that you, you want to say or? No, I think, um, thanks for having me on. Uh, hopefully this has helped. If anybody has any questions, feel free to, um, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram. I was going to ask if you wanted I, to share. Yeah. You're, yeah, for okay. sure. Okay. Absolutely. Um, it's it, Lauren, I'm sure can post for you, uh, my Instagram handle. And then yeah. I'll also give you a couple of handles too. If you want to post some other yeah. accounts that, you know, can suggest some, some good info and like trustworthy advice for anybody that's considering down this path. Totally. Yeah. In the show notes, if people are watching on YouTube, we'll put in the description. And then also, I never knew this, but in, in uh, podcasts, Apple, Spotify, et cetera, um, there are also show notes. So we will put um, the resources that you listed. We'll put your handle and then we'll also put um, the book that you had mentioned. That, that sounded really interesting. Okay, great. Yeah, cool. Thank you, Sarah, for your story. Of course. And thank you for you and your husband's commitment to, to wanting to help help a child or children, plural. Yeah. yeah, I think that they help us just as much. Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Um, thanks everyone for listening to Lauren.live. You can find me on Instagram at Real Lauren Live and on my website, Lauren.live. Um, I would appreciate if you would share, subscribe, all the things, like the video. We've got to keep the circulating, educate people, and spread positivity and love. Thank you so much. Blessings to everybody.